Hello friends from far and wide. Welcome to another episode of Confessions of a PYP Teacher. I'm Lou Gerlach with ThinkChat and welcome to confession number 102 where we're going from a content standard to a local issue. Now there are times when you delve into a practice that is an unknown territory for you. I have done local inquiries, absolutely, but I wanted to challenge myself based on the last episode where we ended the idea with connecting our local issue to our curriculum and our standards. I wanted to find a different way of doing this. So I went digging deeper of, hmm, what tools and systems would I like to put in? So I'd like to dedicate this episode to examining some possible ways to explore a local inquiry. I'm providing some tips um, but you and your team must decide what best fits for you and your school and your learners. I love challenging myself and creating curriculum connections that are not so blatant or that we haven't seen before. Isn't that the purpose of inquiry itself? And for me, it's all about making those deeper connections. And oftentimes we create a curriculum that's segmented by subject areas, even if we're not intentional about it, right? Um, it just happens. I hate to say it. I've taught many a units where it was like that because I didn't know better or I didn't, I couldn't see it because I was too much in the headspace. And here's some things to consider when looking at your own curriculum when you're trying to create that local inquiry. We're going to examine one content standard. But you're going to say, but Lou, I teach a lot of content standards. Of course you do. But we need to segment one standard so that we can, that's kind of the driver to see, okay, where are possibilities of exploring this? So we're going back to Misty Patterson's idea on pop-up studio about abundance. Um, how can we possibly look at this in a new way? It's also kind of a new because it's coming up with new ways of thinking about this as well. Um, that's so important to me as an educator because I want to go beyond what I've done historically. And I want to be able to connect to the content I teach in an authentic way and also have some structure in place where I can then embed my other content standards. That makes sense. And so thinking about content standards and all of this, we're going to discuss the framework of um, what this tool that I've created is. So thinking about content standards. These are the, you know, the standard or standards that must be taught and that is determined by your governing body, um, such as if you are in, in a public school or state school, as they would say in the UK, that's determined by your um, gover government agency. But then you might also be governed by a school board. You might also be... Um, only governed by a head of school, um, depending on your context. So wh whomever is in charge that decides what's going to be taught um, at a certain grade level, that's what's going to be your content standard. Now, 
we're going to also explore an issue. And this is the possible ways we can explore that content standard and connect it to other ideas that are being explored. That makes sense. Then looking at local evidence. What are the different ways that we see that this issue is being demonstrated in our local community? And then resolution. Um, when we're looking at local issues, what are the ways that this local issue is being addressed and the people or organizations that are helping to make a difference? Because we always want to go with that action-oriented mindset, right? Or not making it happen, which is also inaction, right? So here we go. We're going to start. If you want a visual, be sure to go check out my blog. Um, at um, it's on my website, thinkchat2020.weebly.com. Um, be sure to check that out. Um, here we go. So here's the content standard. Use of natural resources. This is a highly common one where it's a combination of social studies and science, right? But thinking about natural resources, that usually lends itself to social studies. So the issue of natural resources or their usage could possibly be scarcity, right? Scarcity of those natural resources could also be about sharing resources with other living things. Notice I didn't just say other humans. We're talking about plants, animals, um, all of that, because if we mess them up, then we're goners from this planet. Looking at the use of natural resources from the long-term environmental impact. If we constantly are using them, using them, and using them, um, and not replenishing them, then what's that long-term environmental impact? Possible issue we could look at is sustainable conservation. Kind of just what I talked about is that how are we going to make sure that we're conserving what we're using and making sure that that conservation is sustainable, and then. What's the financial impact of scarcity? We've recently seen this in our world of supply chain issues of, um, well, I see it in the United States. I don't know if this is happening elsewhere, but in regards to employment, where our systems are starting to break down from airports to restaurants to um, any type of business because people have given, have done the quiet quitting and decided, okay, well, I am no longer going to work because I'm getting assistance from means of governmental support or other organizations. So why should I work? But that's impacting our infrastructure because there's not enough people to sustain all of the means of which to live. So that means longer queues. That means back orders. That means no access. My father had to wait five months for access for a broken car part. Five months, that's a long time, all due to supply chain issues, which results into because of no access to workers. So now we take this big, broad, broad issues, right? And then try to look at local evidence. Well, how does that impact um, locally, um, my community. So I'm thinking about my community in Houston that recycling 
prior to the pandemic has not been a common practice within our community. And it's causing a lot of problems because you're seeing um, a lot of trash everywhere that could have been recycled, right? Our landmines are filling up. They're predicting our landmines in the U.S. are going to be full by 2030. Well, then where are we going to put all that trash? Also, for instance, my, my housing community of 25 property owners, we regularly have recycling bins. But we've also seen our company dispose of our recycling with the regular trash. So that also makes us ponder, well, is, are these goods actually being recycled? We're paying for it, but is it actually going and being processed differently? Homelessness. We have a rampant homelessness issue with people who are either out of work, people who have mental health, health issues and they have nowhere to go, people who are just down on their luck, and there are many shanty tent towns under bridges all over the city. And that's because of inequity of access to local resources. We also have beggars on every street corner, as you can imagine. And unfortunately, it's difficult to determine anymore who's really needy and who's just trying to play with the system, right? And so you give, but you you give to one person, and then you come to another corner, literally someone else. So I tend to give to people who add some sort of service, selling a bottle of water or wanting to wash my windows. I'll let them wash my windows and give them a dollar or two, because at least instead of begging, it's like an act of service, right? Then in regards to resolution, what is happening in our local community and who are the people who are trying to address these issues in regards to access to local, um, the, sorry, access to natural resources. So there are numerous, to help homeless and people who are quite needy, there are numerous um, clothes and shoes donation bins that are turned around and they're not sold in stores, they're immediately donated to homeless shelters and people of need. Love that. There's numerous homeless shelters around my city and food banks that provide free services. Particularly, um, how about people who are not living in homeless shelters, who are down and out. In the past school I worked in, we worked with the Houston Food Bank. They would come with a big truck and they would offer the opportunity for all this food to be delivered to our campus. And um, it had a variety of fruits and vegetables that people could come and um, basically pick what they wanted with frozen meats. And so that it was truly a balanced access to those that are more in impoverished areas. Something that my former school district did, which I loved, is they provided breakfast, lunch, and dinner to students, and they could actually take home food. They would also provide um, food uh, bundles for parents. There, so there are a lot of organizations doing things at the local level to help resolve the issue. So that's a lot. 
Whoa. So we looked at really a social studies driven example. So how might this be resolved or solved through the science lens? Because based on whatever descriptor you're using, that's going to drive, is it social studies or science driven? I know a lot of people only focus on how the world works and sharing the planet as science. But I don't know. Um, if you really think about it, uh, gosh, um, we've got who we are, how we express ourselves, how we organize ourselves, and where we are in place and time. I realize those are very social studies driven, but they all have science components that you could easily bring in to support, right? So now let's look at it from the science lens. One that is commonly used is energy, right? So let's look at the content standard of energy, the use of energy. A possibility of issues that you could explore while exploring energy is the use of electrical energy, access to balanced uh, uh, food and clean water, a wide variety of physical activities, um, light pollution, and sound overstimulation. These are all things that I consider when I'm thinking about my city once again, um, thinking about those are general. So now let's look at local evidence. Um, local evidence, many people do not have access to a balanced diet um, based on income. So they resort to unhealthy snacks, which are much cheaper. That's a problem, right? And so then I also see children in poor areas have limited access to equipment such as bicycles and other tools um, to live a balanced lifestyle. You typically think of a, of a typical U.S. neighborhood having children riding bikes, but that's only for middle to upper income areas. Many children in the community I last served in don't know how to even get on a bike, let alone pedal a bike, um, and how to stay on it without wiping out. And so those are things that need to be taught. Um, but when you don't have access from a young age, how are you going to be taught? There are too many lights within this city infrastructure, and it's you know difficult to properly shut off. Even I am struggling with the light pollution coming into the windows of my bedroom when I sleep at night. I have to wear an eye mask so that I'm completely ensconced into sleep so I don't prematurely wake up. Excess to sound due to airplanes flying overhead and freeways running through all parts of the city. Those are all local issues in regards to energy. So now what are possible resolutions? Well, one small way that we could do it is provide more nutritionally balanced meals in schools. This means no more processed meats or mystery meat, like I want to call it, and side dishes that, yes, you can use canned fruit, but you don't need to do jello and fruit, right? Um, gelatin that's already prepackaged and has a 20-year shelf life. You know, that's not going to be healthy for a child. But a a cup of fruit that's been processed in 
you know, water or its own juice, I don't have a problem with because it's just fresh fruit. Hugely different. And why is it so many other countries spend the same amount of money on school foods or school lunches and we can't get it together in the U.S.? They're still same, serving the same crusty old pizza and burritos that I ate as a child. Gross. Sorry, I'm going to global issues. I apologize. But gross, right? So another thing, a possible resolution is to fund a wider variety of play equipment within schools, particularly those of lower socioeconomic areas, such as you would think jump ropes. Uh, no. Well, you'd even think recess. We didn't have recess. It was always instruction, 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 and they got it when they went to um, PE only, right? So where are the jumping ropes, the balls, these all communal kind of engagements that we participated as children on helping us to turn take and to be able to know how to play cooperatively um, without being competitive. And when you're only having access in competitive sports, that's a problem. Also bicycles, like I said, with, you know, scooters. I love scooters. They're less um, problematic with children still wipe out because they don't know how to use them. How about safety equipment, knowing how, why we need to use a helmet and, you know, elbow guards and knee guards. Why? Because, you know, because that's usually commonly where we wipe out. Our, a lot of children in lower areas don't know this. Dimming lights or reducing our light input on local roads at night. Um, that seems kind of simple. Um, but oftentimes what happens is so blaring that, and I understand it, it's about safety, but in some, you know, off main roads, is it really? And then increase the amount of public transportation options by, for instance, our city, we have the light rail service that goes out to different parts, um, of slightly beyond downtown area. Um, whoever is downtown doesn't live downtown in our city. You work downtown and then you drive home to the burbs or to kitschy neighborhoods that don't have access to the light rail. That doesn't make sense. Um, cause that would then decrease your need for, um, overpasses and all of that. That makes sense. Right? So this I love basically, once again, you're stretching out your issues to be able to look beyond what you think is plainly there. And now you're able to, by unpacking one issue, you're able to bring in your other curriculum um, and you provide a variety of choice there that maybe one class wants to go from this lens, another class wants to go from this lens. Now you're providing some choice in the curriculum, but you're still heading towards the same target, right? of the issue, local evidence, and resolution. Now, I would choose a content standard that's centered on the concept from the transdisciplinary theme descriptor for the unit. Then make the natural connections across the content areas as a means of support. This might add some richness to an existing unit in a way that you may not have considered before. Now, I'm going to put this on my blog post so that you can physically see what it looks like. And I'd love your thoughts.
on this idea of um, taking a content standard and stretching it out into a local issue, either on my Twitter at thinkchat 2020 or on my LinkedIn at Lou Gerlach, L-U-G-E-R-L-A-C-H. So I'm looking forward to your ideas and chatting further about it. Talk to you soon, my friends.